so this is always kind of a, a fun year, part time of year for me, because um, Christy and I met in the fall of 1999. So this is actually kind of cool because it's been 20 years since we met. And um, October, was it October 15th? Was that our first date? I should, 16th, we should really know. Isn't that like today? What's today? 13th. October 13th. I should have done some research before I started this. Um, I look like a romantic fool here. Uh, so here, here's the deal. Before that, so we met in college, our, our freshman year of college, and we met in August. And I remember, we actually have this cool thing where we, we remember the first time that we met each other or saw each other, we were in the library at school, at the school getting our school IDs, like the photos taken on our school IDs. So, and, and I was, I think I was in front of her in line, and, and me and my, my roommate, who I'd just met a day or two before, were kind of joking around, and I, there's this pretty girl behind us smiling at, like, what, like, laughing at me, like, what I'm saying, like, thinks I'm funny. I'm like, that's a good start right there. And she's got this beautiful smile. And then, and then what's cool is we, uh, we have a picture, we have pictures of us from, like, moments after we first met each other, which is kind of cool and romantic. But, uh, so I, I, I like this girl named Christy Cassidy, and I pursued her, but, like, I, I kept asking her out, and she kept saying no, which, time out. For the, the gentleman in the room, you need to know that, that, that no doesn't mean no. What? <laughs> Not, it, okay, okay, let me rephrase. <laughs> no doesn't always mean no, right? Like, no, no like, like, don't always, don't take no for an answer right away. No can also mean try harder, stupid. That this is an important thing in the dating realm. Like, like, and, and for Christy, I had to ask her out two, three, four times before she went out with me, and we went on our first date, October fifteenth and sixteenth. And uh, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. It, you know, it's such a great moment. It, actually, it was awesome, and you know, like in the rest is history. But it was my resolve, and and my. Tenacity it was the, the, my ability, like my, my determination to not take no for an answer that led to a relationship with Christy. Did you know that God will inhabit any space that you give him? Any activity, any sacrifice that you're willing to make Anything that you're willing to make sacred, like set aside for him, he'll take it, he'll, he'll, he'll step into. He will utilize. He will, he will inhabit that space. If we resolve to praying every day and, and praying, Lord, I commit to you this day, watch the Lord walk with you through the day. If we resolve to, to using, utilizing our finances and giving first to God, he will inhabit our finances. If we resolve to, to do relationships, to be fathers, to be mothers, to be brothers, sisters, to, to date the way that God wants us to date, if we resolve to do that, we will watch God in our relationships because he's a God who loves us. He's a God who wants to be with us. And anything that we give him, he will work with. And that's what this series is all about. Is when, is, it's, it's about getting you and myself 
to think about ways in which we can resolve to create space for God in our lives. And if we do, we will be able to, I believe firmly in faith that we will see now God moments. <laughs> we'll see moments like if we make space for him, he will, he will come and, and be with us. He will come and inhabit those spaces. We just need to give him something to work with. A lot of times, like I, 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 as, because of what I do, I get to walk alongside people in their spiritual journey. And there's times where I'm listening to people's story, and they're like, God is so distant, I don't understand. Like, I wish I had faith, like, or I'll, I'll hear these things. And I'm like, man, if you just created a little bit of space for him. And, and for, for many of us, our faith stories start with something small. I told you a, a story about a vacuum cleaner from Christy and I, like years and years ago, that like, it, it, it was just a vacuum cleaner, but it means a lot to us now, and it meant, it, like, it, it meant other things in our lives moving forward. And I believe that God wants to do the same with each and every one of us, to start with something small, but to do something big. For us to resolve, to give him something to work with. And then watch him, now God, into our lives. We've been looking at different characters throughout the Bible, mainly the Old Testament. People like Daniel. Remember Daniel, the very first week, he resolved not to defile himself with a certain type of food, a food that wasn't kosher for him. And as a result, God did all sorts of different things. And that's, what, that's what's so cool about the now God stuff. And you see this. Abraham moves from home. And then he gets to be the father of nations. Moses goes home, and he gets to lead the Israelites through the desert and see, part the Red Sea and bring water out of a rock and you know, bring down the Ten, Ten Commandments twice, if you know the story. Because yeah, Anyway, I won't go into those details. But he got to see and do all of these cool things. All of them, all of these people started with something small. They resolved to give some, God something, and he worked with it, and it built into something big. And that's the Old Testament. And today we get to get to the New Testament. And I'm so excited. We get to the person of Jesus. If you're not familiar with Bible study, the Bible's broken into two sections. The Old Testament, which Jewish people call the Torah, and that what, what's in the Old Testament is basically the, that's the same, the, the, the Bible for, for um, Jewish people is the same thing as our Old Testament. And then the New Testament is when Jesus comes onto the scene. It starts at about 0 A.D. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's born. And we find in the, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. Those are written by men that were with Jesus and walking with Jesus, and they wrote down what it was like to be with Jesus, specifically, probably when Jesus was from like the age of 30 to 33. It was three short years. What's crazy about this is you look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament covers from the creation of everything that's made to about 0 A.D., right? And so through that time, you'll, you'll, you'll turn a page and turn 100 years, 200 years, three, you know, like hundreds of years will fly by in the Old Testament going be, between Abraham and Moses and David. Like those, that's like a thousand years right there. 
And then you get to the New Testament, and it's like things slow down. And I was thinking about this week, and the reason why I think things slow down so much when Jesus comes on the scene is because centuries, it's almost like centuries worth of God activity happen in a lifetime of one man. Because we believe that Jesus was God. You get this in, from the authors of the Gospels. They, this wasn't just a cool teacher. This wasn't a miracle worker. This was somebody that they believed was, was the divine. They believed, John makes it very clear in the beginning of his Gospel, that, that, that Jesus was like the word, like he uses this, this um, um, analogy of the word, that Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word, the word make, became flesh and dwelled among us, that Jesus became, God became man. He was fully God, fully man, and we walked around with him. <laughs> and the New Testament slows down. Those three years where he does ministry are just action-packed, where God is doing miracle after miracle, and, and people in droves are coming close, or drawing close to God because of this man, Jesus Christ, because of of, of, of his son, Jesus Christ. And what's interesting about the, the time about Jesus is it's almost as if like everywhere Jesus went, he was kind of saying to people, like he just kind of put this vibe out like, hey, give me something to work with. Like, 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 come on, come on, people, give me something to work with. Pharisees, give, just give me a little bit of faith. Andrew, J Peter, just give me, Matthew, follow me. Just give me something to work with. And in, in the end, what you find in the Gospels, there's really two types of people. There's people who gave Jesus something to work with, and those who didn't. There's those who gave Jesus something to work with, like Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen. Maybe you're familiar with the story, Jesus comes along one day, and, and Andrew and Peter are, are done fishing for the day. They've probably been fishing all night. The fishing was not good. They came back with nothing. This is their livelihood, so that's kind of a bummer of a day, right? They're not going to make money on this day. And Jesus is teaching, and, and then all of a sudden he turns to Peter and Andrew. He's like, why don't you throw your nets over the side of the boat for a catch? And so they do that, and all of a sudden there's this miraculous haul of fish. It's so big that the nets start to break. I've read that, that that amount of fish would have literally transformed their lives, probably, because it would have been a fortune of fish. And what did they do? They leave the nets and the fish to follow Jesus. He's like, you know, you guys are fishermen. I'm going to make you fisher of men. I'm going I'm to bring per more purpose to your life. Come, follow me. And I imagine that all of their... their their relatives, their moms and dads, are like, go, yeah, whoever that guy is, go. If he's, he wants you to go with him, go with him. And they left that all behind. They resolved, they, they left it to follow him. They gave him something to work with. Uh, there's the story of um, the paralytic man. This one's one of my favorites because this guy couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. And Jesus, to get to Jesus was a difficult thing sometimes because he had so many crowds around him all the time. And there's, um, so in order to get the, this, paraly there's par this paralyzed man to Jesus, his friends had to 
put them on a roof, which, what did he have to be thinking as they're going, okay, we're going to go up a ladder now. You're going to go up a what? You know, like up a ladder on this roof. And it's, a, you know, in ancient times, they used thatch roofs so they could dig a hole in the roof. And they lowered the man down like right, like, like Jesus is right about to make a point, And all of a sudden, dust falls on his head. And he's like, what is going on? You know? And then all of a sudden, like a clump falls on his head. And then all of a sudden, a dude falls on his head, you know, like comes out of, because these guys, they, they resolved there's a, there's, there's a man over there who can heal our friend. They resolved to get their friend help. Jesus loved it. Not, not only, like, Jesus loved any time that somebody cried out, Son of man, have mercy on me. That's all it would take. If you were, if you were boisterous and you said, Hey, hey, I, Jesus, I need you. He was there. If you, if you were willing to make time for him, he had time for you. You, get, you, you capture this. In the Gospels, there's one. Here's another one. Here's another example of, some, some, of somebody giving Jesus something to work with. There's this guy who has a son, and his son is having a, a, a bunch of seizures over and over again. And he, find, he probably somehow heard that Jesus was healing people, and so he finds Jesus. He's like, Jesus, please come quickly. Heal my son. He's having these seizures. Please heal my son. And Jesus makes a comment like this, you know, anything is possible for those who have faith. And the man kind of steps back and he kind of pauses. He's like, I don't have much faith. <laughs> Would you help my lack of faith? What is the phrase? I wrote it down here. Um, right here. Help my unbelief. Jesus, Jesus, I, I know faith is important. I don't have much. Would you help my unbelief? You know that works? Like, that's a prayer. Like, if you don't feel like you have strong faith, it's in the Bible right here. Like, this is a dude saying, I don't have much faith. Will you give me more faith? That's a prayer. That's a legitimate prayer. Lord, help my unbelief. He creates space. He resolved to see his son healed. There's story after story of people who encountered Jesus and they resolved to do something. They, they, they created, they set aside something. They said, no, I will follow you. I'll leave this behind. I'll go out of my way. I'll get out of my comfort zone. And Jesus was like, yes, just give me something to work with. You see Jesus just seizing those moments every single time. Why? Because that's what God does. God will work with anything you and I give him. Anything that you and I set aside, make sacred, make holy, he will inhabit. And we see that in Jesus. For every single person that we see that, that set aside something, for every single person that we see that gave him something to work with, we see someone who refused to. It's really sad in the Gospels. We see, it, it, there's, we see the rich young ruler. This guy who has a lot going for him, and if you grew up in church, you know who I'm talking about. This young guy, he's a rich, young ruler. He's, he's rich, he's, he's, got, he's, he's not old, he's, he's young, and he's a ruler. He has authority, he has not just wealth, but he has position in life. He's got a lot going for him, and he goes to Jesus, and, he, and he's like, what, what more must I do? Like, I, I feel like something's missing out of life, and they have kind of this interchange. It's really fascinating, and Jesus, right, it, it like all of a sudden kind of lays it all on the line. He says, I want you to resolve to give everything you have away, sell it, give it to the poor, then come follow me, and then you'll be perfect. 
And the guy steps back, and he couldn't do it. It says he went away sad because he was wealthy, and he didn't, it, that, was, that was too much. And, and you know what's crazy? I was thinking about this week. This guy was, he came to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I want to know where li- how I can have more life in my life. He came to him, and yet, like, it, like he probably was willing to give things to Jesus. And Jesus, just, he just like, I just want more. I, I don't want just a little. I want it all. And I don't know why. It's, it, Jesus is interesting because sometimes he asks really hard things of people and then other times other people had, you know, like the other guy comes up and he's like, I don't have much faith. Cool. That's enough. You see what I, like, but for whatever reason, Jesus has almost different standards at different times. And I think the reason is he knows people's brains. He knows that if he doesn't ask for something big with this guy, he won't get him. This is his only chance to get him to resolve to follow him. There's a story that there's Luke records three in a row people who are not willing to follow Jesus. It's interesting. He's walking around one day and, and this guy comes up to him. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I'm in. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, Foxes have holes and birds, foxes have dens and Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, which was true. To our knowledge, Jesus never really owned anything. He didn't have a house. It's part of the reason why I don't have an office. I have a hard time with an office. If Jesus didn't have a house, I don't think he probably didn't have an office somewhere either. Like, it it slowed him down too much. He was like, I want to be with people. Like, you want to follow me? This is where we're going to go. We're going to go out. And then it's, it's funny in the book of Luke. The guy who's like, I will follow you wherever you go, he just kind of disappears. <laughs> like, there's no response to this. He's like, oh, wait, you don't have a home? Okay, never mind. Another guy, like, the next, in the next sentence, Jesus, Jesus, this time, he's like, I want you to follow me. And the guy's, oh, cool, I'll follow you. Let me go bury my father, which sounds like a really noble thing. Like, you know, my dad just died. Like, I have, I have things to take care of. And what's interesting is, is in this culture, like, the, it, it probably meant let me bury my father. It probably didn't mean that his father had just died. It probably meant that his father was dying. He's like, I, I have this responsibility that I want to take care of. Let me, go, let me go sort that out. Let me go figure that out. And then I will come follow you. And, the, and, and, and then all of a sudden, we don't hear from that guy. He, he didn't follow. And then there's one more, the, on the third one, there's another guy that says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go, say, go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, surely that's okay, right? Like, surely, like, Jesus will wait just a couple minutes while he goes and says goodbye. Like, that's the good thing to do. Like, that's the, but see, all of these, see, all, see these are good things. See how, like, burying your father, like, 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 these are good responsibilities, taking care of your family, good things. They're good things as long as they don't get in the way of following Jesus. And, and for these people, it did. These are three people. What are their names? I don't know. No one knows. Because they didn't end up following Jesus. They, they, they couldn't give him something to work with. They, they, like, he's like, no, 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 listen. If you go back, if for whatever reason, Jesus was probably like, you go back home, I know you're not coming back to me. So let's go. Resolve to follow me. See, in response to Jesus, there's two kinds of people in the Gospels. 
those who are willing to give something, give Jesus something to work with, and those who are not. It's the same today. It, it's the exact same today in life. There are, in life, there are, there are people who are willing to give God something to work with, and those who are not. And they may have good reasons. They're skeptical, they're jaded, they've, they've, they've prayed before and it didn't work or, or whatever. But there's, there's two types of people in life, like those who are willing to give God something to work with, to set things aside, to resolve, to make th- certain things holy, to chase after, to, to seek. Another, another thing Jesus said like while he's walking around, he's like, seek, knock, uh, ask, and it'll be given to you. But you, you got to seek. You got to knock. You got to ask. You can't just, there's two types of people. Those who are willing to set aside, resolve to do, uh, to set aside the things for God, time, money, the, the, the way they live, their morality, the, let God have a say in their lives. Seek out the truth. There's And there's those who are not willing to do that. And and see, I think, not only do you see this in the people that hung around Jesus, you see this in the message of Jesus as well. The stories that he told, the parables. He'd tell these parables that were stories that weren't true, but they could be true. And in every single parable, when you're reading a parable in the Gospels, you're supposed to think to yourself, like without fail, it's supposed to make you think, okay, who am I in the parable and who is God? And what's my relationship? Like, where do I fit? And that's why Jesus used these stories. He's like, I could just explain it without, like, just just straight words and, and, and like really straightforward, but I want to use stories so that you, you have to think about it. You have to th- you put yourself in the shoes of the person. He told parables like this, like the sower of the seeds. The kingdom of God is like a man who went out to sow seeds. And that man, he, 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 in, in this case, um, spoiler alert, the man sowing seeds, that's God. He's throwing out seeds. And he's hoping that people, like, like, hoping that those seeds will be received and that the seed will grow. But it falls on different soils. Do you remember this one if you grew up in church? And some of the soil, like it, it sprung up quickly, but it didn't, it was like shallow dirt, so it died when the sun came out. Another seed fell in, onto a rocky path where, where it could maybe grow, but it, it never gets a chance because people walked on it all the time because it was on a path. Another seed threw and it, it fell into thorns and it grew, but then it got choked out by the weeds around it. And then, but, but another seed fell on good soil and it created and increased this harvest as it grew 30 60 100 times fold and then he says he who has ears let him hear like like think of he's like telling to his listeners he's telling to us today like think about that where what kind of seed are you let me just ask you this think in the last seven days what have you given god to work with what time did you set aside for him or did, like, time, like, did you, your job and your kids and drop-off and all of those things in life, did they just kind of clog up your life and choke out anything that God might want to have grown in you this week? 
Let's go back a step. Think through the last couple of years. What have you given God to work with? What, what, what space have you created and made sacred for him that could be fertile ground for him to grow? We used the example in the last couple of weeks of like, this is kind of like a big rock and a little river. When we give God time, when we resolve to, to do something for him in his name, it's like placing a rock in the middle of the river, and the river's going this way, and it's, it would carry us away, but, but the, it goes, the water goes around the rock, and it creates this pocket, an eddy in the middle of the chaotic stream. And that's kind of what our life is like when we make something sacred. Sacred is extremely important in our busy, chaotic, manic world. We have to create pockets of space for God to work. We have to create, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil have you been this week? It's interesting to think about, isn't it? He told stories like this about a banquet, about a man, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who threw a party. And like the sower and the the seeds, throwing out lots of seeds, this man threw out a lot of invitations He's, he's like, everybody can come. He said, the whole town, you can come to this party. And then all of a sudden the party comes and like nobody's there. And he's like, well, where is everybody? He's like, and, and, and find out like, well, I've got, I just got married. I, I've got, I got a new yoke of oxen. That was one of the excuses. <laughs> Which is perfect. Because we're like, we don't get excited about yoke of oxen. We just don't. I don't think you do. I don't. But it's the same thing with whatever, like, we would get excited about a cool new car or a new, a new business opportunity. Or, that's what that meant to them, and we can look back now and laugh because it's a yoke of oxen. It's the same for us. And all of these people with good excuses miss a great party. Not because they weren't invited. Because they didn't come. They didn't resolve to come. Jesus crying out through stories like this. Everywhere he went, don't miss the party. Don't miss him. Create space for him. Give me something to work with. I will heal you. Give me something to work with. I will change you. This is what we see in the Gospels. There's one more thing I want us to see in the the Gospels. Resolve was important to the, Jesus asked, he wanted people to have resolve, to resolve to come and find him and ask for healing, or resolve to follow him. But resolve was also something that was important to him personally. And we see this in his, in his willingness and ability to go to the cross. There's this verse, I, just, I love, you, you actually see this in the Gospels. You'll see there's a point in time where Jesus' demeanor and his focus shifts. Where he's going out, he's, he's going out into the villages, he's going further away from Jerusalem, and he's healing people, and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, one point in time, he turns around. And he goes back towards Jerusalem. And he'd gotten, things had gotten kind of dicey between him and the religious leaders in the years before, prior to this. And his disciples know that if he goes back to Jerusalem, they'll probably kill him. There's this verse, in, I think it's in the King James, that, that says that Jesus 
that, that Jesus would not be talked out of it, that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Isn't that a cool phrase? I wish we talk like that still. He set his face like flint. He resolved to mate that day with destiny in Jerusalem. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that he knew what awaited for him. That, that not only did he knew that they would kill him, they, he knew how they would kill him, that they would crucify him. And the disciples would try to talk him onto it, and he's like, no, I am resolving to do this. I will go all the way to the cross. And here's the thing. He didn't go to the cross to make a point. He didn't go to the cross just to, to, to be an example. You read the Gospels, it's very clear that Jesus went to the cross because he believed he was going to save the world. He wasn't going to cross to, 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 to make a point that he was strong enough and courageous enough to, to face the religious leaders and even face death. He didn't go to the cross just to make an example of here, here's what it's like to lay down your life for something that you believe in, although that's a good thing. And maybe, you know, like it is inspiring to think of Jesus that way in like almost like a William Wallace sense, right? We get the sense that Jesus went to the cross because he, knew, he was going to the cross to save the world. He said it clearly everywhere in the Gospels. He's like, the Son of Man came not to serve but to be served. But not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to show you the path to God. I'm here to show you what God is like through myself, through the way I treat people. But ultimately, I'm here to show you that God loves you and I love you. I'm willing to die for you. He said, he says, John eleven twenty five says this. This is um, when Jesus was going to the tomb of Lazarus. His friend had passed, had died, and his other friends, the friends of the friends, were mad at Jesus because, like, you, if you had been here, like, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus, you know, like, like Jesus, is like, hey, do you have faith? And she's like, yes, I have faith. I, I believe that he'll be resurrected. You know, at, at the resurrection. He's not dead forever, like, like he'll have life later on, but he's dead now, Jesus. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. He's like, he'll live again. And then he says this. He says this. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You're, like, he, we, if, if you grew up in church especially, like the thought, if you ran into somebody who said that to you tomorrow at work, you would freak out. You get on the phone, like, hey, uh, we've got this conference call. And, like, guys, I want you to know I'm the resurrect. Someone says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay, click. <laughs> Jesus said things like this. And I, this is why I think that the Gospels are, are, are true. Is because, like, like, they were, I'm sure that the, this, these things stuck out to them. Like, the, the disciples, they couldn't make sense. Like, no, I'm going to Jerusalem, and, and the Son of Man will be crucified, but on the third day he will rise. What? Like, that doesn't make, why would you want that? Why would you go towards that? Like, what, what does that even mean? He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you, and he, he asks her, do you believe this? Huh? Do you believe that, like, just, 
me, if you're with me, if you believe in me, you'll never die. They didn't know what to do with this. They, they knew that this man was loved, he loved them. They didn't know what to do with this until he rose from the dead. And they're like, oh crap. I remember he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And all of a sudden they believed that. But I digress. See, what I want us to see here is Christ's resolve to go to the cross for us. Maybe you've received a gift before from somebody that meant so much to you and you knew that it meant a big sacrifice on their part. Have you ever received a gift like that and you felt compelled to, to do something, to respond in a certain way? Maybe it's a little, like, at least write a thank you note, like, thanks. <laughs> Have you ever re- received a gift like that, a gift that demands a response? That's what we find in Jesus Christ. We see resolve to do something that demands a response from us. I think sometimes songs say it the best. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, that we're indebted to it. That's what we see in the cross. The result, and and, and here's what's cool, is because Jesus resolved to do this, God, because God, this is what God does, right? He inhabits anything we give to him. Jesus gave, gave, Jesus, the man Jesus gave God this on the cross, and God inhabited that, and he elevated him to the highest place, says Philippians 2. He gave him a name that is above every name, that at that name every knee shall bow. That, that, that what he did on the cross, it involves us all. It, de- it demands a response from us all, from the whole world. What he did on the cross, it demands a response from you, from me. It demands a response from us where we get on our knees and we humble ourselves. And we don't just resolve to give him some prayer or a little bit of our money or time or relationships or, or even like resolve to, to live a certain way. It demands us to resolve to give us him our very selves. And if we are willing to do that, now, God. If we're willing to give our very selves, what we will see, what we will see God do on the other side of that is so worth it. First, we'll see 
ourselves reconciled to him, where there's nothing in between us and God the Father anymore. Our sin is gone. Everything that you and I have ever done, once it's laid before the cross, evaporates. And now the Lord, God sees his son and not our sin. That's what happens. That's now God. And, and more than that, after we, we, we give our very lives to him, he'll inhabit anything we give him, right? If we give him 15 minutes, he'll inhabit that 15 minutes. If we give him our finances, he'll, he'll inhabit our finances. If we give him our hearts, he will inhabit our hearts. He will come and live in us. And he will change us. You want to change? You want your life to be different? Invite him in. Whether it's the first time you've invited him in or it's been a while, invite him in and watch him change your heart. Watch the God of the universe, the God that created all of this, who's powerful, watch him change your life. Now God, give your life to him and he will seal it with his forever. We're promised eternity through the Son, Jesus Christ, through the cross. But we have to come to the party. <laughs> we have to take the invitation. We have to follow him. And that's something that can only happen within the quiet of your heart. In the quiet space of your heart, that's something that you can do. That's it's the only place it can happen. No one can do it for you. It's not being born in a certain family. It's not going to church. As much as I hate to say it, it's something only you can do in the quietness of your heart is to give, resolve to give yourself to him. Today we're, we've created space for just that. And I know this, this, is good, this looks different for all of us, right? Some of us have done that before. Some of us have, have gone to church a lot in the past, but maybe never thought of it this way. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to carve out time and create space for us to, to, to give our very selves to him. We're going to have communion. We're going to sing a couple songs, and then I'll come back up, and we'll have communion. And, and communion is a, a phenomenal way to do that, a phenomenal reminder of what Christ did for us that demands a response. Let me say a prayer.